So glad to have all of you here. Uh, we're in a series called Amazing Grace. Last week we talked about being rescued by grace and what it is. I, I love the fact that we're talking about grace today and we got to see some people get baptized today. Just kind of be reminded once again, you know, what it is to just receive God's grace and be made new. And for those of you that got baptized, I'm so proud of you. And I think it's so awesome. Uh, today we're talking about something that's really, really relevant to all of us. And I'm just going to say the first word, and you're going to know exactly what I mean, guilt and grace, and how those correlate with each other, and what does it mean, where does it come from, why did God make it? How many of you have ever felt guilty? Yeah, some of us feel guilty right now. You know, we just said something on the way to church this morning we didn't mean. Um, we, we, we feel guilty. W would you agree that guilt is one of the most powerful forces on earth? I mean, you can... You can get almost anybody to do anything by giving them a guilt trip. Spouses do it to each other. Uh, employers do it to employees. Uh, friends do it to one another. A um, couple of interesting stories about guilt. There was a suspect of a crime in Radnor, Pennsylvania. This came out on a, on a police blotter. And not too intelligent um, thief. <laughs> they brought him in. They put a metal colander on his head and run a wire from that to the copy machine, Okay. Nothing to the wire, just all for looks. Then they put paper in the copy machine, and they wrote on it, he's lying. And they did that for several pieces of paper, stuck it in there. Started asking questions. Every time they thought he was lying, just pressed the copy button. Piece of paper shot out that said he's lying. He confessed. <laughs> he, he just felt so guilty, he confessed. Uh, another uh, story about a San Diego court. Two men are in there on trial for armed robbery, and they have an eyewitness on the stand, and the lawyer's you know, talking to the eyewitness. And, did you see the crime? Did you see the two men? And she says, yes. And she said, are they in the courtroom right now? And the, it got so hot, man, the guys just raised their hands and said, yes, we're here. Just because they felt guilty. Now, I'm, we laugh at that, but it's very interesting that we all feel guilty. Why is it that we feel guilty? What is it about us that feels guilty? Uh, what is guilt? We all know what it feels like. Um, sometimes it's heavier than others. David was a guy in the Bible in Psalm 38, uh, verse 4. He said this. He said, my guilt has overwhelmed me. He said it's like a, like a burden too heavy to bear. Uh, he had done some things, you know what I mean? And sometimes when we uh, do things that are not God-honoring and we do things that hurt other people, we can feel guilt like that. And you, you know what I'm talking about. We all know what that feels like. It's the kind of guilt that, that overwhelms you and you feel like you got something on top of your chest and your, your stomach lives in knots. Uh, you live in fear sometimes, and there's that thought that, you know, I hope, hope nobody finds out what it is that I've done. But, but why is it that God created guilt? That's kind of the question here today. Why? What, what, what's the purpose of it? Do you think it was just to make us feel bad? Some of you are like, yep. <laughs> I mean, did, did God make guilt to punish us? So that when we do something wrong, he can, he can say, you know what, here, take this. You know, I'm going to make you sit in this for a little while because, because you've been a bad boy or a bad girl. If, if you've been tricked into thinking that, I just want you to know that couldn't be further from the truth. And if, if you feel that way, if you feel that guilt is some type of tool that God uses just to put you in your place and just punish you and pummel you over it, then I, I just want you to know that there is room to get to know God more. And the more you get to know him, you'll find out that that's a lie. God is a gracious God. Last week, we, we read a verse in the Bible in Isaiah chapter 30 that says this. This is God's word. He said, God longs to be gracious to you. That's who he is. It's not just something that he extends. It's, that's it's what makes him up. He longs to be gracious to you. So that feeling isn't something that God uses to punish. Instead, those feelings of guilt that God made 
or a warning light that says something needs to be fixed. Have you ever seen an oil light in your car or your truck or your van come on the dashboard? I think I have a picture of it. You, you, you ever see that? You ever see that oil light? What does that mean? That means you've got a problem that needs to be addressed, right? And if you don't address it, then things could get kind of iffy. Uh, we, we don't look at that light and go, you know what? I'm just so ticked off at the car right now. The only solution is to let this thing run completely out of oil and ruin the engine. That's the only solution that there is right now when I see that light. If you do that, guess what's going to happen? Yeah, we know what's going to happen. I, I had a, a friend of mine in high school. He just got his license, and, and uh, we, he came in one day, and he said, what's that genie lamp that keeps lighting up on my dashboard? I said, dude, that's your oil light. You need to get that fixed. He ignored it. He just pretended it wasn't there. Um, and we can so easily do that when that warning light comes on, those feelings of guilt come in, and it's God's warning light that says, hey, there's something that needs to be addressed in your life. And just like him, he ignored it. And we, we'll do that in, intentionally if we don't realize what the guilt is, where it's coming from, what it means in our life. And we'll ignore it. We'll hope it goes away because it's unpleasant to deal with. And his truck died, okay? It ran completely out of oil. Um, and the same thing can happen in our life. And we live our lives just filled and oppressed with guilt. So let's talk about what guilt really is. So there, there's two ways we, we look at guilt. I want you to say two ways. And if, I want you to really understand what I'm getting ready to say. The first one is called, what we would call healthy guilt. It's what the Bible calls conviction. Say conviction. I want us to get into this. All together, conviction. This is something that God uses, okay? When somebody has convictions in their life, they're moved to do something. When somebody feels convicted about something, it's God's warning light in you saying, hey, something's wrong, and it points you to a solution. Maybe you were wrong, and you said something to somebody that really hurt them, or, or you did something that you know was really bad, uh, and, and, or maybe you hurt God's heart over it because it involved sin, and God's warning light comes off, and that's, that's conviction in your life, but it always points you to a solution. It points you to do something. It points you to a resolution. It's called healthy guilt. It's conviction in our lives that aim us to be a better us. It aims us to do something to fix the issue. The other way we see guilt, and this is what we're calling unhealthy guilt, and this is what the Bible calls condemnation. And this is, this is not of God. You need to understand this. If somebody's living under condemnation, they stay beat up. They stay in a, in a world where they feel worthless. They feel like there's no resolution to this. No matter how hard I try to make things right, I just, I feel more and more guilty. I feel, I feel heavy. And they live in fear a lot of times that something bad is going to happen to them because of what they've done. And if it were to happen, they'd feel like they deserved it because of what they did. That's called condemnation. That is not of God. Condemnation happens when you ignore conviction. That oil light goes off, that, that warning light in your heart that God says, hey, there's some conviction going on. I'm using it to try to aim you, but we ignore it. And then it's not long before conviction goes away and condemnation takes its place. And we begin to feel heavy. We kind of ignore what God is putting in us very naturally and lovingly to aim us toward a better us. So there's conviction. It's what God uses. And there's, there's condemnation. That's what Satan uses, the devil, whenever you ignore conviction. I just want to ask you, if the Bible is true, and that verse is true, that God longs to be gracious to us, do you think that God longs to aim us and move us on and kind of get through it to be better? Or do you feel like God just longs to keep us feeling punished and worthless and condemned? I say God uses conviction because he wants to make us better, because he wants to be gracious to us. In fact, Romans chapter 8 Verse 1 says this very plainly, So now there is no condemnation 
to those that are in Christ Jesus. So when we choose Jesus, when we choose grace, when we allow God's love to come into our lives and wash over us, the condemnation doesn't exist. Only conviction, and conviction's healthy. It's like a warning light that says, hey, there's something that needs to be addressed here. Uh, so it, it helps to know that condemnation is not of God. If you're feeling worthless today, if you're feeling oppressed and heavy because of guilt in your life, that's not God. And maybe you've ignored his warning light for a little bit too long, and he's saying, I, I want to pull you back out. I want you to choose grace. We're going to talk about how to do that. My oldest son, whenever he was in third or fourth grade, uh, he stole a milk from the cafeteria. You know what I'm talking about? Just picture being in elementary school, kind of go by, and there's like 150 chocolate milks right there. Yeah, to a third or fourth grader, that's, I want that. <laughs> and his teacher called me and said that he had stole one. And at first, I didn't believe it. I was like, okay, my kid is the most well-behaved kid in your school, right? Um, but he never did anything like that. I never saw him steal anything. I never saw him being untruthful about stuff. Um, but I'm not naive. I was like, okay, well, let me talk to him. So he gets in the truck at, at the end of school, and I would literally thought they were going to be mistaken. And as soon as I asked him about it, his whole face changed. <laughs> he just was guilty, <laughs> you know? And I had planned on taking all the kids to get ice cream that particular day um, after school. And once I realized he stole the milk, I'm like, plans have changed. You know, on the inside, I'm like, how dare you steal a chocolate milk from your school? And I was thinking, what do I do about this? Yeah, it's just a chocolate milk, but the kid stole something. Like, right now, is going to determine how he sees stealing from here on out. And so I was like, okay. And my brain started kicking in. I said, God, I need your help. I said, all right, we're, we're going to turn this truck around, and we're going to go back to school, and you're going to walk into your classroom, and you're going to talk to your teacher, and you're going to tell her what you did, and you're going to apologize. Oh, you'd have thought I just told him he was going to storm Omaha Beach. I mean, he was just, he was going to his execution. I mean, this is what he was doing. So he, he goes in, and we have to walk by all his friends, okay, that are waiting in the car line, and I let him lead. I'm like, you know what? You're going first. You lead the way, bud. <laughs> you stole the milk. And he's walking, and you know, I'm trying to be as loving as I can, but I'm, I'm pretty irritated the fact that he stole, and I'm just trying to like, do the right thing. So he goes, and he's feeling horrible. The weight was like a million pounds on him. We get to the classroom. He's waiting for me to go in and kind of initiate the conversation. I'm like, nope, <laughs> you go ahead. Walk. And it better not just be, and I'm sorry, like, and just assume that she knows. You walk in, you tell her everything you did, confess it, and, and, and you apologize. I actually waited outside the classroom. I didn't even go in. And he comes out a few minutes later, and... He feels a little bit better, but then we have to walk back to the truck past all his friends again. Yeah, he didn't like that either. And they're saying, what are you doing here? And he's just quiet. And so we, we get done with all that. I, I know he's learned his lesson, but something in me was like, I just, he just needs to sit in this a little bit. Like, he just needs to feel this so he never, ever, ever does it again. You know, and I'm like, we're, I'm thinking to myself, we're not going to get ice cream. We're going to go home and I'm giving you the silent treat. You know, I'm thinking all this in my head. I'm not a bad parent, I swear. Um, but God hit me upside the head before we got in the truck. He said, did he make that right? I said, yeah. And, you know, I'm having this conversation in my mind with God. He said, is that how I treat you whenever you repent? <laughs> no. He said, he made it right. Move on. And so I looked at him and I said, bud, I said, do you know why we did all that? He said, yes, sir. I was like, all right, let's never talk about it again. Let's go get ice cream. <laughs> and inside I was like, yes, we get to have ice cream now. But you see what I did there? I, I moved from conviction to wanting to condemn my son. And we do that so naturally to ourselves and to the people that we love. And to my knowledge, he hasn't stolen anything since, you know? But we, we can so easily do that. And 
Condemnation keeps you in bondage over the things that you did. Conviction is like a warning light that goes off, and you, it aims you at a resolution, and when you fix it, you move on. You're covered in God's grace. And that's, that's the whole point of conviction. Um, so if that verse is true, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus, then conviction comes from God. And condemnation comes from the other guy, right? It comes from Satan, just, just using your uh, ignoring conviction, and he's just trying to pile it on you. He, he can't make you guilty. Jesus died for your sins. But you know what he can do? He can work in the feelings that you already got. He can, he can take you ignoring the conviction that God gives you. Oh, he'll work in that. He'll take what you give him, and he'll pile it on. So let's talk about how we tell the difference in our everyday lives. What's conviction? What's condemnation? How do I tell the difference? Real fast, just two questions that I like to ask uh, when I'm trying to figure this out. One is when I feel guilty, is, it, is the feeling that I have, is it, is it vague or is it specific? Is, is it kind of, or do I actually know? See, when God convicts you, whenever he puts conviction in your life, he's got a purpose for it, okay? It's aiming you at a solution. So you're, you're going to know what you did. You're going to know what to do to fix it. In fact, don't be surprised if everywhere you go, you, you kind of see the issue and you, God's just telling you all over again. You open up Facebook and somebody's posted something on Facebook that just speaks right to you. And you're like, oh, that's for me. Or you turn on the TV and there's somebody talking about something that, hey, that's for me. Or, or you sit in church and you're like, Pastor Ryan has, must have a microphone uh, in my living room because that message was just for me. It's very specific. You know what you did or failed to do in life and, and you know exactly Exactly what you need to do to make it right. When God convicts you, it's specific. It's not vague. Do you understand the difference? Um, and then he gives you the resources to be able to follow through with it. He'll, he'll give you the person in your life that can help you kind of guide you in that. Maybe it's a conversation you have with somebody and they just speak right to your heart. Uh, or or maybe, maybe it's a scripture verse that you read in God's word and he just, he just kind of opens it up to you right there. And you're like, yep, I needed that. So God, he, he, he gives you very specifically with conviction what it is you need to do to make it right. And then he gives you the avenue to be able to do it. Um, the second question is, 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 does this guilt I have, does it have a solution? God is always going to give you a solution. And so if you're walking around in life and you just feel guilty with no resolution in sight, you, have absolutely, you don't even know why. You've ignored conviction so long, you just feel guilty and guilty, and you, no matter what you do, you feel guilty about it. You feel heavy over it, and there's no resolution in sight. Listen, when God convicts you, there's resolution. <laughs> there's solution. He's aiming you at something specific. So is the feeling vague? Is it specific? And then secondly, does it have a solution? When God convicts you, listen, it hurts. It hurts. It hurts to have to go back and, and make things right. Do you think my oldest son wanted to walk back in there and apologize? Absolutely not. That was so embarrassing for him, but I knew he needed it, and I, that was the part that he needed to do to make it right. And like I said, he never stole anything else to my knowledge, um, but it was very specific. It had a solution to it, and when the solution was done, we moved on with life. That's what God wants to do in you when it comes to conviction. So now that we know what guilt is, it's either conviction or it's condemnation, and we play a role in, in what, which one it is that we have, uh, what do we do about it? What, what do we do about the guilt that we feel in our lives? Um, well, there's three kinds of people that deal with guilt, and I'm going to name the first two, and we'll talk about the third for a few minutes. Um, there's accusers and there's excusers. And let's talk about that just for a second. Accusers feel guilt, and they, it becomes somebody else's fault. You know, they say things like, well, if they hadn't have done that way back when, or if that situation had never happened to me, then I wouldn't be, and then they fill in the blank. And maybe you've done that. that that's an accuser. And you can choose to do that. You can choose to handle guilt that way, but it's never going to move you towards God's grace, and it's never going to move you towards freedom. It's never going to move you towards a solution. 
And then you have excusers, and you, you know what they do. They make excuses about the guilt they feel. Well, you know, I, if they, I, I never got the breaks that that person got. I, I never, I can't help it. I'm a victim of, of this. And so they make excuses all the time about why it is that they feel guilty. Because guilt's heavy. And if it's condemnation in your life, and, and that's where it is, you've got to justify it somehow. Even though it feels heavy, and you have to live with it, and when you lay your head down at night, you wish you didn't have it, you justify it to everybody else. Even if it's just stupid. You're going to find a way to justify. I'll make excuses or I'll accuse somebody else. You can take that approach, but it's never going to move you towards a solution. It's never going to move you towards the grace of God and the freedom that he wants you to have. But then there's a, a third person that deals with guilt, and they're called choosers. Say choosers. Say it again, choosers. choosers. One more time for good luck. Choosers. Yeah, I don't believe in good luck, but I just want you to say it. The reason is because these are the types of people that deal with guilt in a healthy way. Because you know what they do? They choose to own their mistakes. It's a choice. They choose to bring it to God. They choose God's grace, and they choose to believe that God gives them grace. But it's a choice, and they choose to do it. And let's talk about how we can choose. We're going to talk about three different ways that we can choose, three steps. And we're going to talk about this uh, as it relates to one verse in the Bible, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. We're going to break this down. But when you choose God's grace, th this is what it says. It says, if we confess our sins, he will forgive our sins. Because we can trust God to do what is right. And he will cleanse us from all the wrongs that we have done. So when we choose God's grace, three steps we're going to pull out of this verse. First one is this. You've got to confess your sins. That, that doesn't feel good. But when we choose God's grace, the first step is confessing our sins. Let's just be honest. Sin brings guilt in our lives. And if you want to get rid of the guilt, then you got to get rid of the sin. Does that make sense? I said that very plainly. With sin comes guilt. You want to get rid of the guilt, you got to get rid of the sin. The first thing you got to do is confess it. Two ways we do that. First, we go to God. He's your God. He made you. Ultimately, the sin, you may have hurt somebody, you may have, but ultimately you sinned against him because he's God of all and he loves you. And he's the one that's going to give you grace. You've got to go with God. You've got to go to God. David said this in Psalm uh, 69. He said, God, you know what I've done wrong. I cannot hide my guilt from you. Maybe you just need to do that. Maybe you need to go to God and say, God, I just confess to you. Um, if you really want to move out of guilt in your life, you've got to do that. You've got to tell God, listen, I've, I've messed up. I've, I've left you out of my choices in life. And, and maybe I've messed up my own life. And maybe I've messed up the lives of some people around me. No matter how big or small, there just seems to be some discontent because of some things I've done. God, I, I want to include you, and I'm sorry. I come to you, and I admit that. And I know we're right here in the middle of, of a sermon for, for our service. But I just want you to know, God, you can have that conversation with God right now where you're sitting. He hears your heart. He does. And sometimes I'm so glad that he doesn't depend on my ability to speak English. Because sometimes I can't get the words out like I want to get him out because it hurts sometimes. And he just sees right through that, and he sees my heart, and he sees yours. And maybe you just want to tell him, God, I, I confess to you, and I just I need your grace, God. Maybe you want to tell him that right now. He, he hears your heart. That's the thing I love about God. So you, you go to God with it. The second thing you do, it's a really important part of confession, is you tell somebody else. Tell somebody that you trust. That's the part we get a little bit nervous about. Uh, but that part about, that, that part about telling someone else, that's not forgiveness. You don't do it for forgiveness. You do that for your own healing. It's an aid as you heal. Um, in fact, James chapter 5 says this, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that God can heal you. When a believing person prays, great things happen. I, I just love how God works through people. 
He could do everything himself, but he works through people. And I've seen so many people that have been heavy and guilt-stricken, and they've, they've talked to somebody. They've kind of spilled it. They've made it right with God, but they've spilled it to somebody they trust, somebody that will pray with them. And I've, just, I've watched the weight lift off of people. So confess to God, but then go to somebody else. The Bible says there's healing in that. Um, make sure whoever you go to, make sure they love you. That's really important. But maybe more importantly, make sure they love God. And here's why. Because when they love God, they're going to know their own sin, and they're going to know the grace that covered their sin. They're going to be so grateful for that grace in their own life. And when you tell them what you're going to tell them, their whole intent is going to be to make sure that you get that same grace. They're going to pray for you, and they're going to treat the information that you give them with respect. Make sure they love God. One of the, the best places I know to meet people and to fellowship with people and to build relationships to where you can get to a place where you can have these kinds of conversations is in bridge groups. Uh, you may have heard about small groups or life groups right here at the bridge. Um, we haven't launched them as of yet, officially called bridge groups. We're going to be launching them in October. Uh, we, we wanted to kind of start in May, but we realized that we were a little bit too soon. So we're going to be starting these things called bridge groups in October. We'll start promoting them in September. And what are bridge groups? Well, they're smaller groups of people that meet throughout the month. They get together. They have fun together. They learn about God together. Um, they do outreach projects together. They do, they do fun things together, but they develop trust and they build relationships with each other. That's the biggest thing. And then sometimes when, when you get in these groups and, and conversation starts happening and it gets to a point where you feel comfortable opening up, you realize that there's other people that have kind of gone through the same thing. There's other people that have struggled like you have. Sometimes it's the exact same issue. And you know what happens? Conversations begin and healing starts. That's, that's what bridge groups are about. Um, we're launching them in October. Right now, uh, I'm just going to take this as an opportunity to tell you, we need more bridge group leaders. Um, right now, we've got about seven life groups that are happening right now. They're full. There's many of you that want to be involved in a group, and we need more life group leaders. Our goal is to have eight more um, pretty soon. Um, so if you're interested in what that would look like, and maybe you've, you've been a part of a group, or you're just interested, you feel like you've got some leadership skills, and you want to know what it's about, come talk to me. Message me. Email me. Uh, you can email me directly off of our website. You can Facebook message me. Uh, we're actually having a training starting May 16th for bridge group leaders. And it's going to be several sessions so that you don't go into anything blind. And uh, we, we need some bridge group leaders. We want to make this strong. Jesus ministered to thousands of people, but he discipled 12. There's power in that. The most intimate moments happen in these small groups of people. And we don't just want to be a big church where you just feel like you're just one of many, just coming in here and leaving every week. We want you to be involved with, with some people. We want you to get to know people. We want you to build relationships. How does church grow big and stay small at the same time? Groups. And so that's what we want to do. So let's, let's get back to the message. First step in taking that guilt warning light off that comes in your heart, you got to confess. You go to God and you say, God, I confess this to you. Then you go to a trusted friend so you can heal. You might just find one in bridge groups. But then the, the next part of that scripture, 1 John 1, 9, says this. After we confess, he says, he will forgive our sins because we can, what's the next two words? We can trust God. We can trust God to do what is right. And that's the second way we choose God's grace over our guilt. We trust God's grace. Why is that such a hard thing to do? I, I have trouble with it sometimes. Like, I, do, I really, do I really trust the fact that he gives me grace when I feel so guilty all the time? How many of you, let me ask this, how many of you checked your brakes before you came to church today on your vehicle? You actually went under there, made sure all the brakes were right. You trusted the fact <laughs> that when you pushed the brakes, that you were actually going to stop. 
right? In fact, you trusted them so much, you probably didn't even think about the brakes. You put your kids in your vehicle and your spouse or the people you loved, and you put all their lives on the line going 60 miles an hour down the road. Some of you went 70. Don't lie. I know you did. But you just trusted it. You trusted the fact that it was going to stop when you told it to. You trusted it so much you put everybody you love's lives in the hands of a vehicle that you never checked. You just trusted it. Why, if we can do that, why is it so hard to trust a God that says, I love you and he made you and he made everything? Why is it so hard to trust him when he says, I want to give you grace? Think about this. You go to a restaurant. Some of you will go after church is over. Some of you will go this week or in the near future. And you sit down at a table and you read this menu and you're trying to choose what you want. And you've never seen the kitchen one time. Not once. You don't know what's in there. You don't know what's on the floor. You don't know what's on the counter. You're just trusting that little letter they have on that plaque. You know what I'm talking about? You're just assuming that the cook that day has washed their hands, right? You don't know what he's been picking. You don't know what he's been scratching. You don't know anything about him. You, you have not seen him. You don't know where. They've had their hands. Some of you just decided, I'm going home for lunch today. And that food will come back out. They will have had their hands all over it and you'll eat it. <laughs> you won't ask any questions. You won't ask to see the, the cleanliness of the kid. You'll just eat it. Matter of fact, there's some establishments that you have eaten in many, many, many times. You have not one time asked to see the cook. You have not one time seen the kitchen. You trust the fact that that food is going to be okay. Why? You just do. You trust it. It's part of our society. Why is it so hard to trust God when he says, I want to give you grace? We trust so many things in life that could actually kill us, and we just trust it. We just put our lives on the line. And sometimes we look at God and we say, I don't know if I can trust the fact that you really give me grace or not. Why is that? God says, I long to be gracious to you. His word says that. You can trust God. You can trust him to do the right thing. You can trust him when he says, I want to give grace to you and I want to give it freely and I want to wash all your sins away. I want you to walk around this life feeling light as a bird in my joy. I want you to walk around with my joy in you, my peace in you, with the grace that I give. But you got to trust the fact that he does that. Hebrews chapter 10 says this, says, let us come near to God with a sincere heart and a sure faith. We've got to have faith in this thing because we've been made free from a guilty conscience. Did you know that you'll never become who God wants you to be living in guilt? It can't happen. Guilt, condemnation, that is like a, a barrier to God's will being played out in your life. Everything about God screams grace. It screams freedom. It screams peace. It screams love. Condemnation speaks the exact opposite. So we confess our sins. Secondly, we trust his grace. We get close to him. Then the next part of that verse, 1 John 1, 9, says when we do that, he will cleanse us from all the wrongs that we have done. Okay? That's why the third step is this. We have to accept it. We've got to accept God's forgiveness. He said he's going to cleanse us. We actually have to accept that. The Bible is so true in John 3 when it says, people who believe in God's Son are not judged guilty. Ask yourself the question right now, do I really believe that? Do I really believe that God doesn't judge me guilty? Or is it something that I just say? Do I really think that's true? Because I just got to say, if, if God doesn't judge you anymore, then maybe it's time you stopped. <laughs> if God doesn't judge me guilty anymore, then maybe it's time that I quit walking around like I'm guilty. When God says we're forgiven, we're forgiven. But we can so easily walk around like we're not. I remember when I was in high school, um, there was this play that was put on we did called Flapper by our music program. You ever heard of that? I played Buck Wayne. 
Oh, yeah, that name sounds nice, doesn't it? I was the handsome pilot trying to get the likes of Polly Pepper. Enough about that. doesn't even matter. Point is, lots of alumni were there. They were watching the show. After the show was over, they had this dance and a DJ set up for all the students. Alumni went home. You know, they wanted the teenagers to have a good time, and it'd just be weird if all the alumni stayed. <laughs> you know, when you're 18 years old, you know, there's old people around, right? Now that I'm close to 40 now, I don't know what I was thinking. But so they're there, and all the alumni goes home except for this one 40-year-old dude. And he's hanging around, and we're like, what is he doing? And he's walking around to all the students, and he's talking about his glory days at the high school. And he's talking about the things that he did in high school. And we were like, man, this is so creepy right now. <laughs> I just wish he would leave. You know, it was like if he could rent a time machine, he would actually go back in time right now and, and visit the high school again. It was like Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite. You know what I'm talking about? And what I realized real fast is that it's possible to be 40 years old and walk around like you're not. And, and what I want to tell you is it's possible to be forgiven and have God's grace covering your life and, and just act like you're not. This guy looked completely ridiculous. He looked out of place. And that is what we look like whenever God's grace has come into our lives, has washed our sins away, and we walk around ignoring, turning a blind eye to God's grace because we just feel guilty and we don't feel it. God says you're forgiven. He says, I have, I've actually forgiven you. In fact, he gave so much when he gave Jesus on the cross. I couldn't even begin to, to try to even convey to you the fullness of what we have in Jesus Christ and the price that he paid. But yet even God and his sacrifice that he gives in that fullness, he's not going to make you accept it. You actually have to do it. You actually have to say, God, I, I accept you. And he's saying to you today, I'm willing to pronounce you pardoned. I'm willing to pronounce you clean with my grace. And I'm just saying, take advantage of the offer. Enough with the guilt. And some of us struggle because we, we think nobody understands the bondage that we're in. Nobody else gets it. No, nobody knows the, the pain or the weight that I feel. And we just think, you know what, it just can't be that easy. I've dealt with this so long. You don't know what I've done. So to, to hear you say, just, just say it and believe it and confess it and, and trust it, it just can't be that easy. And I just want to tell you, it wasn't easy. God paid a huge price in Jesus Christ and what he did for us. It was, it was anything but easy. But he did that. He took your place so that you could walk around on this planet not feeling condemned. More importantly, not being condemned. He paid an awfully big price for that. And still some of us, we hear that, and we're like, you know, you don't, you don't know the abusive parts of my life that that I've had, that I've done, that I, sometimes I still struggle with. And, and I just want to tell you, Jesus knows. That's why he paid the price. He knows. Some of you say, I, you, you don't know the things I put in my body. You don't know the, the ways I've abused my own self. I'm telling you, Jesus knows. And, and you may say, well, even still, you don't know the people I've hurt. I actually have to look at people in their face and see the pain that I've caused in their lives. I, I can't ever forgive myself for that. Let me tell you something. Jesus knows about that. And God, in his loving kindness, gave Jesus for you so that grace could cover you freely and so that you could walk out of that free. It is not his will that you walk around being burdened and condemned by guilt. Now, he'll give us that warning light. He'll give you that conviction. And I feel like some of us today need to kind of move out of condemnation that we've lived in for a long time because we pulled ourselves there. We've ignored the warning light. And we just need to get back to that place where you say, I, I, I see the, the warning light. God, I feel the conviction in my heart. I know what I need to do because he's always going to point you to a solution. No, it's not going to feel good. And maybe if you've waited a long time, maybe it's even more awkward now than it's ever been, but it's still the solution. I've got to have that 
conversation. I got to make it right. But on the other side of that is freedom like you've never felt it before. Not here, not is here. This is what Jesus came to die for. This is what he gives grace in your life for so that your soul can be set free. When your soul's free, the rest of you is free. You ever heard that old song, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands? Because if you're happy and you know it, then your life will surely show it. That's kind of an elementary picture of what God's grace looks like. There's a story that I heard recently I want to close with. It's about a man who uh, was born probably the 1700s, early to middle 1700s. Um, his mother was a Christian. He was born in London. And he sat at his mother's side uh, as a kid and learned Bible verses. His mother taught him how to pray. And um, his dad was a hard-nosed ship captain in the Royal Navy. I mean, just a sailor if there ever was one. And uh, his mom, you know, tried to, tried to gear uh, the little boy to be a Christian. Well, his mom ended up dying um, right about the time he was seven years old. And the dad had him sailing by the time he was 11. And uh, he turned into his father. I mean, took on his father's kind of image. Um, even though his mother taught him about God, he abandoned that. Um, in fact, he was so bad, so behaviorally bad and so spiritually just completely against the things of God, he actually went out and tried to turn other people to unbelief in God. In fact, his nickname was the Great Blasphemer. That's, this is what record tells us about this. In fact, there's a quote um, that he said, and this, this is what was quoted in the story. He said, I sinned with a high hand, and I made it my study to tempt and seduce other people. This is the kind of life he lived. This is the kind, I mean, sailors are not really that much of moral people, or at least not known to be, um, and with manners. Well, he just like completely abandoned that and went a tenth degree the other way. I mean, it was just, it was just really bad. As a young man, he ended up in West Africa, um, working for a slave trader. And so you can just imagine what that was like for him and, and, and the people, of course, that were there. Uh, he eventually worked on slave ships and became a captain of several of the slave ships. Um, he saw and took part in one of the most cruel and inhumane things that our history has ever done. That's slave trading, taking people, innocent people, ripping them from their homes and forcing them into, into slavery. And with his deranged outlook on life, you can only imagine um, how he treated the people that were aboard the ships. I mean, he lived so far away from God, and a lot of people would say, and him in some instances, uh, would say that he did it on purpose, just living life away from God. And at one point, uh, he was on this ship named the Greyhound, maybe a few years later, and, and he's on this particular voyage, and a storm just completely overtakes him by surprise. And so they're in the North Atlantic uh, with everybody on board, and the ship's being, I mean, just tattered and torn, and the for 11 days, I mean, they're just, they're just completely beaten by this storm. They're doing everything they can just to keep the thing afloat. Uh, the sails, the canvas sails are completely ripped and torn to pieces. There's a huge hole in the side of the boat where the, the wood has just been beaten down and splintered. Um, they're trying to pump the water out manually, and they're, they, they're just exhausted after all this time. He's exhausted. So finally, they take him, and they, they tie him to the helm of the ship to steer it. He's so exhausted, they've got to tie him there. And they said, just steer us. Just make sure that we, we stay on the course. And he did this from, from one in the afternoon until midnight. It's a long time. And while he's there, what seems like is getting ready to be the end of his life, tied to the helm of his ship, he starts to think. 
Isn't that funny how we get to situations in our life where we might even lose it, and that's when we start thinking. And this man starts to think about his mom all those years ago and the things that she said to him and the lives that have been impacted because of him. But not only does he think about his mom, he thinks about the God that his mom talked about. And he thinks about some of the things that he's read over the years as it pertains to God. And right there in that moment, tied to a ship in the middle of a storm, after having lived that life, he said, God, I need you. And he gave his life to God. He confessed and said, Lord, change my life. Miracle of a story, they actually ended up miraculously floating towards safety and getting there. Boat completely torn apart. Nobody could believe it. It's a miracle of, of, of a story. Uh, years after that, he didn't get out of the slave trade business, but he stayed in as a ship captain um, trying to tame the excess of the, of the brutality of slave trade. And that was his whole purpose later in life for being there. The guy's name was John Newton. Now, you may know that name, you may not. You may kind of know what that's about, but he was the guy who later on wrote a song that we all know called Amazing Grace. This, is, this was the guy, John, John Newton. And when you think about his life, when you think about the song, it just gives new meaning to the first line of the song. If you just take the first line, Amazing Grace, coming from this guy, how sweet the sound that could save a wretch like me. Maybe that's where you are today. God, you can't save me. I'm here to tell you, you can. God, I don't know how. You don't have to know how. Just know that he can. His grace covers you. It covers your questions. It covers your doubts. It covers your sin. It covers all your lack. God's grace covers you. There's a scripture in Romans that said, where, where sin abounds, grace is greater. And I love the fact that he didn't name a sin there. As somehow we, we gauge sin on a scale from worse to, to somehow it becoming better than, than the one day. He just says, where sin is there, grace is greater. Where your sin is there, grace is greater. This is, this is the Bible now. You fill in the blank. Whatever it is that you're bombarded with today because of the stuff you've done, God is saying, whatever it is, whatever you fill in the blank with, my grace is greater. I paid such a, a big price, and that price mattered. And whatever you have going on in your life, whatever's causing the guilt, whatever's causing the condemnation, he's saying, my grace is greater than that. Just reach out to me. I figure if, if he can save a guy like John Newton on, on, tied to the helm of a ship in the middle of a storm after living a hellacious life, then he can save me. He can save you. Not only that, but he used the guy later to write a song that literally touched billions of people to know about the goodness of God. That's what God wants. He wants you to know his grace. Later in John Newton's life, right before he died, he's at, on his deathbed, his memory's waning. He's an old man. And in his journals, he, he, he writes this. This is his quote. He says, My memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things, that I'm a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior. <laughs> and maybe that's where you're at today. You're like, hey, I'm ready to lay my great sin down at the feet of an even greater Savior, and his name is Jesus Christ. The prayer team's going to come up right now, and you, at any time during this prayer, you can come up either during this or after the service is over. I'd be happy to pray with you. Let's bow our heads. Let's, let's just pray. God, thank you so much for your grace. God, I, I know there's people in the room right now that are heavy with, with guilt. Some of it's conviction. They know the solution is just painful. 
I pray, God, right now you'd give them the strength to move towards that, to, to choose grace, to confess the sin, to trust that grace. God, accept your forgiveness. In Jesus' name. Lord, those in here that are feeling condemned because of their life choices. God, nothing's heavier than condemnation. And I, I know it's heavy. I know it's real. We all live on this planet. We all have a, a natural inclination to just feel guilty and to, to punish ourselves, to feel like somehow we deserve it. But th that's not what your word says. Your word says that we don't deserve it, that you took it on. And because of that, we don't have to look at ourselves as deserving of punishment. We look at ourselves as deserving of grace. That's your word. And I pray that that truth just washes over us right now. Anybody who's listening to my voice right now, wherever they're at, in this room and overflow on the internet, I don't care. God, you, let your, your, the truth and the power of it go forth to say your grace is enough, Lord, and that we're worthy of it. We don't have to walk around heavy anymore. And right where you're at right now, I, I just wonder if you feel that in your heart, just say yes to God's grace. I need your grace, Lord. I, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he came to this earth to die for me, to take that on so that I didn't have to. I believe that he really died for me, took on my sin penalty. I believe he really rose from the grave, and I believe that blood he shed covers me. And so now when you look at me, God, you, you see a wonderful child, a son or a daughter, that's worthy of, of your grace. And I say yes to that grace. I just wonder for just a minute, if, if there's something that, that you need to just confess to God, you, you, you know what it is, I don't even have to go there. I just wonder if you take it just a second, just have that conversation with God in your heart. He hears your heart. And I just wonder if you just use this room right now or this time together as an opportunity to tell him. I'm just gonna give you a second to do that. God, you've heard all the the prayers going up, you hear them, they're precious to you. Now we just say yes to your grace. We're going to walk out of here believing in your word, not trying to figure it out. We'd never figure that out. But we just say yes to you and we trust it. By the power of the name of Jesus Christ, I pray this. Can we say amen together?